But let's begin reading in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 2 this morning. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And I like that short word, three-letter word, all. Every single person was there that was supposed to be there. All those that were mentioned in Acts chapter 1, the Bible tells in verse number 13 and 14 and uh, 15 uh, of chapter number 1, the names of the apostles that were following Jesus. All 11 of them, Judas was not there because Judas betrayed Christ, and Judas is dead now. He's, he's no longer with them. He's betrayed Christ there's 120, there's, there's other women and the mother of Jesus and his brother, brethren are there and, and some 120 people have gathered themselves together that have followed Jesus Christ and they're all here together in one place, in one accord when the day of Pentecost has fully come. And then suddenly in verse number two, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto him cloven tongues like of, of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, there, and, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under, he, under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language." And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these which speak Galileans? And hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? And so here the setting takes place. They're all together. They're at this day of Pentecost. They're in one place. And more importantly than that, the Bible says they're all in one accord. And we're going to look at that here in just a, a little bit. And, and they're all, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit of God comes and descends upon them. And, and as this happens, the Bible says they begin to preach or speak. And what they're going to begin to preach, we'll see a little bit later here, uh, probably next week we'll see that. But what they're going to preach is, is the good news of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus came to die for their sins. The fact that Jesus was placed in that borrowed tomb and three days later that God himself raised Jesus Christ out of that grave. And that all those that will believe in Jesus, believe that he died, believe he died for their sins, believe that he was placed in that tomb and that he rose again, all those that by faith will believe believe that, will be saved. What a marvelous, marvelous message this is. But what makes this so interesting is uh, many things. Well, number one is this. The apostles are now preaching, and they're preaching in a different tongue or a different language. They, the, the men are marveled. The, the, those that come here are marveled that these apostles, they're, they're Galileans, yet they're speaking in a tongue that they've never, never spoken before. And that was because the Holy Spirit of God used them to preach the, the gospel. And, and he caused what they were preaching to, to be heard in the, in the ears of others that were there from different countries. And they all had come together for this time of Pentecost here in Jerusalem. And they were amazed, the Bible says in verse number 7. They were amazed and they were marveled. Some thought these men were drunk. Some thought these men were just, just acting like fools. But... They said this, there's no way that these men could do this. Something, something is special about this day, this event. And so I want to, I want to look at, we'll probably just get to the first couple verses here this morning so that we have time for communion after the service today. Last week, I believe it was, we looked at chapter number one, the last part of chapter one. 
And we thought about these disciples and all the things, all the, the type of people they were, all the events that have taken place that we read of in the gospel coming to this place. The, the, the disciples have gathered. We've got different personalities in the disciples. We've got different desires that the disciples have. They're all different people. They're all different. They all think different. They all act different. They all have different personalities. You've got Peter who's bold and brash. And you've got John who, who describes himself as you know, the favorite apostle that Jesus loved. And, and you've got others like Andrew and some others that maybe you don't know a whole lot about. And, 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 and they're, just, they're maybe more quiet and, and not as, not as uh, bold as Peter is. You've got Thomas who he's the one that says, I've got to see it before I believe it. He's the doubting Thomas we call him. And so there's so many different desires and so many different personalities. All of these uh, uh, apostles have different backgrounds and, and, and all of the events that have happened up to this place. And so oftentimes when we read the scripture, if we're not careful, we read past the human emotion that these men and women must be feeling. These were real human beings that have just been through a great, great circumstance in their life. The one that they were following for these three and a half years had been crucified, brutally beaten. The Roman, the Roman Empire is, is uh, 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 controlling Jerusalem and Israel, and the Roman soldiers took Jesus by force and, and, and took him away from the garden. And, and, and remember in the garden, the disciples are there praying, and, and, and they, they witness Jesus praying so much that he, the Bible says he's, he's, uh, drops of blood are coming out of his head, the, 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 the uh, severity of his prayers. And he's asking the Lord to let this cup pass from him, but not my will, but thy will be done. And, and they're witnessing all these things. They witness John, uh, uh, Peter take that sword and, and cut off the, the ear of, of that Roman centurion that came to take Jesus captive. And they, they see Jesus pick that ear up and, and heal that man. And then he's beaten. He's bruised. His beard is plucked out. He's, he's hit in the face with these Roman soldiers' fists. He's taken and he's placed upon a post where his hands are tied and they take that cat of nine tails and they, they beat the back of Jesus. And they could only do it 39 times because they say 40 times would kill a man and they weren't by law allowed to kill a man that way. And so they give him one less stripe than 40. And those Rocks and those sharp objects, that leather whip that they beat Jesus with, just tearing the skin off the back of Jesus and opening his, his back up. They would mock him, the Bible says, that they would take and smote him or slap his face. And while he's blindfolded, and they would say, if, if you're the Son of God, tell us who it is that hits you, mocking him. They took those crown of thorns, and when I was in Israel this past fall, I saw the, the trees that they would take these, these branches were as just as long branches that you would take and cut, and the, the thorns on those branches were like that long, like nails. And they'd take that branch, and they'd just wind that branch up to a circle, to a crown, and with those long, huge spikes, nail-type spikes in those branches, they'd place that. They'd, 
jam that upon his head. Not, not a small thorn, but like driving nails into your head. Blood running down. Blood running down and covering the areas of his beard that they plucked out and his back that was beaten. They've all experienced this. They're in hiding because really at any moment the same thing that happened to their Savior could happen to them. You see, the reason why Jesus was beaten and put upon the cross, we know he came to do this, but the reason that the, the religious crowd had, because he was messing everything up that they were living for. They were saying that you must fulfill the law. They were saying that you, you've got to follow, follow their religious principles and practices. And Jesus said, no, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come, and if you put your faith and trust in me, he said he was the son of God. And they said he blasphemed. He's, you can't be the son of God. And Jesus said, I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said this, that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know what that means? That there's no religious system that can get someone to heaven. That only Jesus is the way that a person could get to heaven. There's no good works that could save a person. There's not enough money that someone could give. There's not enough kindness. There's not enough love that someone could, could live out. None of those things, church membership, no person, no institution, no human being other than Jesus Christ could save a person. Only Jesus in him alone. And the disciples have heard this. And because Jesus preached that, he was beaten and placed upon this cross. And now the apostles, the Bible says, they sit here on this day of Pentecost. It was here. It was fully come. The time was at hand. God had something planned. Don't you like it when God does something? I, I, I like it when God has something planned. You know, if you're like me, you plan your life, you plan your day. I, I like to live by a schedule. I like to know what I'm doing all throughout my day. I like to know what I'm doing the next day. I, I, look, I like to look ahead and know what I'm doing next week. I like to be in control of my schedule. I don't like surprises unless they're Cadbury eggs. I do like those kind of surprises. But, but I, don't, I don't like surprises. And here are the apostles, they have come to this place. It's fully come. You know, it's, it's the Lord had a plan. God brought them to this place. All of the things that have happened and transpired up to this point have happened and transpired because God's plan was this. You see, God was interested in all the world hearing about his son, Jesus Christ. God was interested in all the world hearing that God loves them so much that a person does not have to die in their sin. A person cannot pay their sin debt, but God Almighty is going to send his son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is going to come and he is going to do what no other person can do. He's going to die on the cross and pay the sin debt that mankind owes. It's going to come. It's going to happen. The Bible says that they, at this day when it was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, that last part of this verse is a miracle in itself. Everyone was there, and everybody was in unity. Everyone was there, and it was all in one accord. I want you to write this down as I see this verse. As I studied 
chapter number two over the last couple weeks preparing for the study of the book of Acts. As I got through chapter one and got into chapter number two, my mind kept going back to different stories that I've read in the Gospels. Different stories of the, the uh, Christians uh, the, the disciples, their time with Jesus, different miracles that took place, different conversations that were had. All through the gospel, you find different events that took place that now we come to chapter number two and all of those events are behind us and God is now wanting to do something great with his people. Now, I want you to write this down if you would, please. Despite personal circumstances, the disciples saw the need for unity. Despite personal circumstances, the disciples, they saw a need for unity. It was their decision to come and be in one accord. Now, 3,000 souls were going to be saved. And guess what? They, they couldn't save anybody. God does that. They, they, they couldn't make 3,000 people come and get saved. But what they could do is they decided that they could come and be in one accord or be unified so that God can do the rest. And so God can do what he can do, but they were willing to come and do their part so that God could do the rest. And so they were, despite personal circumstances, they were all different people. As you read through the gospel, and we don't have time to go through every instance in the gospel, but think back through your reading of the gospel. You know what you're going to find? Every single one of the disciples were different people. You've got, you've got Peter who had one personality, and it seemed like Peter would be, he would do anything if he was dared to do it. You think of Peter out on the sea when Jesus came walking on the water, and all the other disciples, not one of them was willing to get out of the boat. But guess what Peter said? Peter said, I want to come see you. And Peter, he, he takes that risk to walk on that water. And I know, I know we say that Peter began to sink because he lacked faith. But you know what I find? That Peter was willing to at least try it. Others were quiet. Others were sitting back in the boat not wanting to be seen. But here Peter is saying, you know what, I'm going to try this. You find Peter, the story of Peter, when he cuts off that ear of that Roman soldier. You know, Peter, I know in just a little bit after that he denied Jesus. But you know what, at that time Peter's boldness was impressive. He said, they're not going to come and take my Jesus. And he took a sword out like he was going to fight this Roman army that came to get Jesus. Peter was a bold, bold man. You find people like John the Baptist, or John, the, the Saint John, the one that wrote, wrote the, uh, the book of John. You find John, the disciple, he is the one that he describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. And, and he, he laid his, his head on the, on, the, on the chest of Jesus, and he described his relationship with Jesus as a very close relationship. You see, each of these men were different people. Each of these had different problems. The same would be true with each and every one of us today. You know what the, the, one of the greatest things about our church is? Everybody is so different. Different backgrounds, different upbringings, different circumstances. Everybody here is going through something different. Everyone here has different problems. Everyone here has different concerns. Everyone here has different desires, just like the apostles had in here in, in Acts chapter number two. But they were willing to put all of those things aside. They were willing to, even though they were different people with different problems and different circumstances, when it came time to come together and watch God work, they put all of that aside and said this, we are going to come together together unified so that God could do something in our midst. They put away their personal differences. They came together for the Lord to work. 
you know, each of these men, some were fishermen, tax collectors, businessmen. We, we don't know what job each and every one of these 120 people had before they began following Jesus. We, we don't know the, the story of every single one of them. We, we do know some, but you know what we find? That each and every one had di- different personal circumstances. Some, some were probably younger, some were older. Some probably came with, with problems and, and baggage and, 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 and circumstances, but you know what? They were putting away their personal differences, and they came together for the Lord's work. You know what? The same thing takes place in church today. Every, every single person here has a personal uh, 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 difference that with someone else. Not everyone thinks the same. Not everyone believes uh, 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 the same thing all the time. They, they, they also put away their personal desires to come together for the Lord's work. Remember the disciples in the Gospels, they were arguing and asking Jesus, which one of us are going to be on your right hand? There were 12 of them. What does it matter? But there, there were some that wanted to be sure. I wanted to be as close to Jesus. I want to sit on his right side. I, I want to be known to be the right side of Jesus, at the right hand of Jesus. You know, all of these personal desires, they've no, no longer are they arguing about those personal desires. No longer are they talking about who's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. No longer are they talking about what their own interests are. They've come together now because they want God to work. Well, what a wonderful lesson we see in Acts chapter 2. I believe this, what we find in Acts chapter 2 is a lesson for every believer in every single church member, every church to learn from. With one accord in one place. What God does with unity. God seeks for a church, for his people to be unified. And in that unification, in that united place, is where the Holy Spirit of God begins to work. You see, unity in the church, what we find in chapter number two of the book of Acts, it's so very important. The Bible clearly tells us that this day had fully come, and it clearly tells us the attitude of the people at this day. You see, up until this point, there had been divisions. The disciples had had arguments. The disciples did have disagreements. The disciples did doubt even the things that Jesus said at times. They, they weren't fully understanding. They, they were arguing about position. They were arguing about uh, 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 their, their, their place closest to Jesus. You read the book of John, and, and often John writes about Peter. You can see there's a little bit of friction between John and Peter. John says, I'm the one that Jesus loved the most. You see that in the, in the gospel, but what you find in the book of Acts is you find with one accord in one place, you find that unity in the church is so very important. Something I want you to think about with me, I don't have the time to go to every single place in the gospel, but all through the gospel you're going to find something. You're going to find something like this. Unity comes here in Acts but it came through laboring together. You know what you'd find all through the gospel? You would find where the apostles were laboring together. They were working together. They were serving together. 
They had a common goal. They had a common interest, and, and that was this, laboring for the cause of Christ. They realized that there were people that had needs. You, you find them when Jesus sat down, and all the multitude, the 5,000, needed to be fed, and there was not enough food to feed these 5,000. You know what you find? You find the disciples going out into the mix of the people and finding a bag lunch and bringing that lunch from that little boy with that, that bread and those fishes there and bringing that to Jesus, and Jesus saying, that's sufficient. That's all I need. And he begins to break that and puts it in the basket. You know what you find? The disciples then taking that basket and going through the multitude of people and feeding the multitude of people. You find that on two different occasions where Jesus fed the, the multitudes of people. You'd find where the disciples, the Bible says, they'd go out two by two and, and begin to perform miracles and begin to witness and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd find the disciples laboring together. You'd find them as Jesus was healing the sick, and you'd find them as he was healing the, the lame, and he was causing the, the blind to see and the deaf to hear. You'd find while Jesus was doing all of these miracles, you know what you find the disciples doing? They're laboring together. And oh, listen, a great example you find, and the reason I believe that you can find the disciples at this time in a place of unity is because the disciples had a history of laboring and serving together. You know what also I find all throughout the gospel leading up to this point, not only did they labor and serve together, you also find this, that they came through many trials together. Think about all the trials that the apostles had. You know, if we're not careful, trials or problems are our excuse to scatter and run. Trials are our excuse to, to have, be at odds with, with people. Trials are an excuse to, 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 to uh, uh, break friendships over. But you know what I find with the apostles, with those that have followed Christ, these 120 that now we find on this specific day, the day of Pentecost, that's fully come, and the Lord is wanting to do a great work, and, and they don't know yet what he's going to do. They just know that they're told to be here. They're, they're told that the Comforter was going to come. They're told by the book of Joel, the prophet, that, that, that a great awakening, was about ready to take place. They weren't sure because they didn't have the scripture like we have it to read, but they believed that God was going to do something great. They decided to come together to be in unity. You know what causes unity? And when It causes unity when you come through great trials together. When we go through trials together and come out on the other side, you know what God can do with that? He can bring great unity. Listen, although trials at time are a reason to separate, trials at time are a reason to, to go separate ways, that trials at times is a way to, to break relationships. But I'm saying to you today that the trials that the disciples had, it caused them to get closer because they didn't concentrate on the trial. They put their concentration and their trust on the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing this, that he had a plan for their life. He had a desire for their life. And they must put those things behind them and focus on Christ if they want to see God work. You see, trials don't have to destroy us if we'd be willing to take those trials and be a reason to bring us together in one accord. You know, as they came together, the unity in the church is so important. I find that the disciples all through the book, the, 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 the Gospels, we find that even though, even though they went through uh, uh, great trials, and even though now they're come with one accord, it came through praying together as well. And I say this often, but church, 
the power that we need in our own individual lives and in our families, the power that we need in our church is going to come through prayer. We can't experience what God wants us to experience outside of prayer. Oh, we, we try. We, we try to, to, to connive. We try to put our plan together. We try to put our desires together. We try to be wise enough to, to figure out what the next step is. But hear me today. There are some things that God wants us to do that our human reasoning will never accomplish, that our own human wisdom will never accomplish. We could put the smartest people together in the room and we'll never accomplish it because there's some things, many of things I'd say, that God wants to do that it can only be accomplished accomplished through a praying church. There's problems that you might face today that are not going to be resolved outside of prayer. There's difficulties you're with today that are not going to be resolved outside of prayer. You've tried everything in your own strength. You've tried everything in your own power to try to figure out what you're going through. My dear friend, there's things that will only come through prayer. I find here in chapter number 21, verse number 24, the disciples had a great need here. We saw this last week. I just bring it to your attention again today because I like how they accomplished this. Judas is now dead. He betrayed Christ. He, brought, he bought that, that uh, uh, land with that silver that he received from betraying Christ. And then he hung himself there on that land. And in the Bible, the psalmist tells of what happened to the uh, uh, one that betrayed Jesus. And now there's only 11 apostles and there needs to be one more. But there's two that are qualified. And how are we going to, how are we going to figure out who is going to fill the place of Judas? And they, 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 could have, they could have sat down and said, you know what, we're going to vote ourselves, or we're going to look at the pros, or we're going to look at the cons. We're going to figure this out ourselves. I'm sure that the 11 apostles could have come together and figured out what the next step was, but that's not what they did. The Bible says this in verse number 24 of chapter 1, and they prayed. Listen to me, there are things that God wants to accomplish, but they'll never be revealed to us unless we have a praying need. There's some things that God wants to do, but we'll never know the answer unless we learn how to pray. There's some blessings that God wants on your family, on yourself, on this church, and we'll never see them fully enacted without becoming a praying church. You see, unity in the church is so important, and it comes through praying together. Unity in the church is so important, it comes through spiritual warfare together. Now, we don't like to talk about spiritual warfare much because it's spooky, <laughs> scary. That's for, you know, the movies. It's not real life. But church, if you were to go through the gospel, you know what you'd find? There's a lot of spiritual warfare. Satan was attacking. There was a lot of demonic oppression. There were people that were possessed by these, these uh, demonic spirits that were possessing people all through the, the Gospels. And I would dare say this. I don't believe that that was for a different time. I believe this, that Satan is still, and maybe even more so because his time is coming to an end, he is aggressive, he is, he is, he is doing everything he can to disrupt your life, to disrupt the cause of Christ, and to disrupt this church. He's doing everything he can. Spirit, those that were cast out of heaven, a third of the fallen angels that were cast out of heaven when Satan tried to uh, make a coup against God in heaven that the Old Testament tells us about, and a third of the angels were cast down. Listen to me, those third of the angels are still on an onslaught, still attacking, still trying to disrupt what God's trying to accomplish. It's true. Listen, there's spiritual warfare in your marriage. 
It's not just about maybe, maybe a disagreement that you have. No, there's spiritual warfare. And the reason why we don't identify the spiritual warfare, we don't get the victory over these things like we should, is because we don't identify it for what it is. There's spiritual warfare that takes place in this church. There's spiritual warfare that takes place in your home. There's spiritual warfare that takes place in your community. There's spiritual warfare that takes place in, in, in your neighborhood. It's all around us. The devil is fighting anything that's good. Look it around and see. It just seems like anymore that just the logic is thrown out the window. In our world today, there's some, uh, uh, some over 100 or more million babies. And, and I, I dare to say we probably don't even know the true number that have been aborted in our world today. 60 million in our own country. Listen, there'll be more of an interruption and, 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 and uh, a commotion caused to protect a certain area of ground because a, a turtle lays eggs on that area of ground and we can't disrupt because if we disrupt that, then the turtle won't lay eggs. And if the turtle doesn't lay eggs, that turtle would become an endangered species. And listen to me, I love turtles. I had one when I was a kid. I had a couple. I'm all for turtles. I'm not against turtles. And I, and I think that, that turtles ought to reproduce and there ought to be more turtles. But I, I'm saying this, that I believe that the human being is more important than any animal. I'm saying this, that that child that is formed in that mother's womb is more important than any animal here upon this earth. I believe this, that we ought to stand for things that are true and right. We ought to stand for the fact that God breathed into man a living soul, that we are made in the image of God. And we ought to stand for that. And the world we have today says that we can kill the, the human baby but save this wild animal. Listen to me, I'm simply saying this. I believe that there's much spiritual warfare out there. Today in our world, we're living in a society in our country. We're living in a society today where people are saying they want to pass laws that once a child is born, they can decide after the birth of a child if they want to abort that baby or not. This is happening in our day. Listen to me, there's spiritual warfare. There's spiritual warfare in your home. There's spiritual warfare in your marriage. And the only way that we can combat the spiritual warfare, the Bible tells us, to put on the whole armor of God. That wasn't just for 2,000 years ago in the day of the, the New Testament church when it began, in the days of Paul the Apostle. No, that is true for us today. We need to uh, combat spiritual warfare. The only way for us to do that is put on the whole armor of God so that we can live and fight against this because we can't do this in our own strength. You know what the disciples learned? They can't fight Satan in their own strength. They can't fight spiritual warfare in their own strength. Matter of fact, they came back to Jesus and, and they said, Jesus, we don't understand. We've tried to heal. We've tried to do this miracle. And we can't do this. We've seen you do it. And we're doing it in your name, but we can't seem to get the power to do this. And Jesus said this, this kind cometh not but by prayer and by fasting. What he's saying is this, there are certain things in your life that you will not have the power to win over. There are certain things that are happening in your life that no matter how hard you try, you won't get the victory over. There are certain things in your life that is harder and more complicated than, than you have reasoning to fix. But there is a God in heaven that will give you strength. There there is a God in heaven that will defeat Satan and his army. There is a God in heaven that can give you strength and give you victory in no matter what spiritual warfare that takes place in your life, but you've got to put him first and not lean onto your own understanding. You see, unity can come. 
it can come through trials. It can come through spiritual warfare. But it comes when you make the choice to put Christ first. You see, it comes through eating together, through fellowship. One of the things that we try so hard to do, matter of fact, we made some, 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 some changes uh, the fifth Sunday, whenever there's five Sundays in a month. You know what we do? We combine our services together. And if you, if you come to this service, you might say, well, we, uh, why do we have two services? We have room. Well, try to come on a fifth Sunday and put everybody from both services together. There's no room. But fellowship is so important. I believe this. So often we, we, we have too much acquaintance going on. It's, it's, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And, and, and we might remember your name, but maybe not. But, but we're friendly and, 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 and wave, wave our hand at you or shake your hand and, and go our separate ways. Listen to me. We need more than that. We need more than friendship even. We need where there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are fervently praying for each other. We need brothers and sisters in Christ that are, that are, that are fellowshipping together. We need brothers and sisters in Christ that are doing life together, enjoying life together, uh, uh, encouraging each other along the way. We need fellowship in the house of God. We moved our service times on Sunday evening from 6 o'clock to, down to 5 o'clock. We did that. I know that interrupted all of our uh, nap times. Trust me, I hear it every week from my wife. You just woke me up an hour early. Why did we do that? We did it so that people, that, that, that older folks that, 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 that can't drive in the evenings after dark can still be in church and have fellowship. We did it so the moms that put their kids to bed at an early hour so for school the next day or for work the next morning can still come and, and have fellowship. We did it so that, that after the service we can, we can fellowship together. I love going down to Freeze Daddies and, and, and everybody, every car in the parking lot moved from this parking lot down to there or, or men in the gym that are playing basketball uh, into the late evening hours and, and, and fellowshipping, enjoying each other's fellowship. Listen to me, as the day of the Lord approaches, we need fellowship. We're trying to live this victorious Christian life and we're not getting the, 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 the fellowship that we need, the encouragement we need. We're trying to live this life alone. Our closest friends ought to be people that believe like us and live like us. All through the gospel, you know what you'll find? You'll find, the, you'll find the apostles eating together. Jesus breaking bread with them. Jesus feeding them. You find all through the Bible spending time together. You find all through the gospels what caused this unity is they were witnessing together. They were going out two by two and telling people about Jesus. You see, they were coming together through tears together. They come through this place and come to this place of unity because they've put, they put away their own individual desires and they want to see God work. Hear me, church. I guarantee you this, the best church that you'll ever find We'll never be a perfect church because we're never perfect people. It, it won't be a, per, a church that meets all of your individual desires. There'll be something that you might not like. There'll be something you might disagree about. You might like the guitars down here, up there, over there, or maybe not at all. 
You, you, you might like the color of something or not. You might like, you know, the, 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 the flavored cream we have in the coffee, or maybe we don't have the kind you like. Not everything. You might not always get your favorite parking spot. You might not always get your favorite place to sit. Your favorite song might not be always sung. But hear me today, the perfect church isn't a church that meets your appetite and your flavor. The perfect church for us, the church that we ought to be, is a church that puts all of our own desires aside, all of our own wants aside, all of our own needs aside, and come to see God work. A place that says this, I I don't care who else shows up as long as God shows up. I don't care what's said, as long as what God once said is said. I don't don't know what's going to be done. I don't care what's done, as long as I know this, what God once done is done in that place. You see, then and only then can we come to a place and be in one accord in one place, because all of us can agree on this one thing, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. All of us should agree on the fact that Jesus came. He was placed upon the cross. He shed his blood. His blood was sufficient payment for my sin. And all those that will go by the way of the cross can have salvation in Jesus Christ. All of us should agree that he was placed in that borrowed tomb. And three days later he arose again from the dead. And conquering hell and conquering death. And, con- and giving us victory over Satan. Giving us victory over death. And all All of us can agree in those things. And oh, listen to me today. If we exalt Jesus Christ, if we lift up his word, if we preach the doctrine of this book, then that ought to bring us to a place of unity. It comes through submission of the Spirit of God. It comes coming from the Spirit of God wanting to work. And we want him to work. Yeah, I say this and I'm done for sake of time. Something else I see in this passage of Scripture, their belief in who Christ was caused their behavior to be impacted. Because of who Christ was, they were willing to be a disciple not known for their individual behavior. Their thoughts changed. Their desires changed. Their actions changed. And when this happened, the Spirit of God showed up. Church, I'm sure you would agree. Every time time we come to the house of God, we ought to desire the Spirit of God to show up. But you know what I learned from Acts chapter 2? The Spirit of God doesn't show up until we prepare ourselves and give him room. Understand me. I I understand the day that you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of you. I'm not saying that he leaves you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if we don't let him work, we're not going to see him work. Oh, he may be dwelling inside of you, but he doesn't have full reign in dealing with the way he wants things to be dealt with in his church unless we decide to come in one accord, letting God work. I'm going to ask our deacons and advisory board and those men that are going to be serving communion 
Would you prepare yourself for that? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you this question. Are you here in one accord? I'm not asking where your brother is at, where your sister is at, where your spouse is at. I'm asking you today, did you come here in one accord? Or did you bring your circumstances, your problems, your desires, your wants, your life, your way? And the only way that 